are you ensuring that at least most of the time, and by most, I mean over 50%, I'm not saying 70, I'm not saying 100, but are you most of the time sleeping enough to recover and for your body to rejuvenate? Are you moving your body on a regular basis? Are you eating decent enough food? I'm not telling you to be a perfectionist, but are you doing the basics to keep yourself healthy? Are you responding to your body when it tells you it's time to go to the bathroom? Or are you writing three more emails? Are you responding to your body when it says that it's time for some water because you're thirsty? Are you responding when it's time to eat, when it's time to rest, when it's time to laugh, when it's time to connect? Are you responding to the base, primal, foundational human needs of your body? Expanding possibilities, the mindset zone. I'm your host, Anna Malikian. And my mission is to support individuals and organizations to increase their impact while avoiding burnout. If you want to work smarter, not harder, I can help you. If you want to go from burnout to full engagement, let's talk. Reach me at Anna, A-N-A, at mindset.zone. Yes, instead of .com, it's .zone. You can also access all the episode notes, links, and other amazing resources at mindset.zone. Today, our special guest is Kate Donovan. Kate is an international keynote speaker, host of Fried, the Burnout Podcast, author of the book, The Bounce Back Ability Factor, and she has a degree in Chinese medicine. Her creative burnout recovery solutions have been featured on podcasts and online magazines such as Forbes, NPR, and the New York Post, and in companies just as the New York Public Library and PepsiCo. Welcome to the Mindset Zone, Kate. Anna, thank you so much for having me. And... Uh, I really have to do a plug here to your amazing podcast, Fried the Burnout Podcast. Um, if people are listening this in uh, uh, any podcast platform, please first, of course, follow Mindset Zone and then go and follow the Fried the Burnout Podcast. You really do a great job there in interviewing people. And I especially appreciate also your solo episodes where you go in depth in many important topics on burnout and burnout recover. And you often differentiate between the burnout prevention and the burnout recovery. So tell us a little bit about that differentiation. This is a big one for me because a lot of people that work in burnout talk about they focus on saying, oh, I work with burnout prevention. And I I think that they do it because they would like to have people believe that they can help them avoid burnout. But if you are already searching for burnout solutions, the chances that you need prevention techniques are minimal. You likely need recovery techniques. And the difference between them is pretty vast. So when you are not yet burnt out, your brain is fully functioning. 
whatever that means for you. You might be a little bit neurodivergent or you might be, but your brain is fully functioning. When you are already burnt out, there have been some physiological changes to your brain that prevent you from being able to engage in some of the exercises that someone might have you do for prevention. One of the big ones that always comes up and it makes me, I had to warn someone in my Facebook group recently to, um, to, to not suggest this is gratitude journaling. Gratitude is a beautiful thing. There are plenty of studies that show that it's useful and in order for it to be useful, you can't just write three things that you might be grateful for on a piece of paper. You have to be able to really engender a feeling of gratitude. If you don't feel it flow throughout your whole body, we all know that sensation. It's that moment when you didn't realize you were driving through the sunset, but you notice it through the trees and it's so awe-inspiring and you just take a moment to say, oh my God, look at that beauty. That's what gratitude feels like naturally. But when you're burnt out, it's really hard to find that feeling. You are naturally right now, because of where your brain is, inclined to look at more negative things. Forcing positive things feels just like that, forcing. And so it feels unreal and fake to you. And so instead of gratitude journaling, I often start people off when they're in burnout recovery with resentment journaling. <laughs> you flip it. We flip it, right? Because we have to work with, when you're burnt out, you don't have a lot of energy. You don't have a lot of space. So you have to work with the lowest hanging fruit, the things that are most available to you. And pretty likely the thing that's most available to you is frustration, anger, and resentment. Yeah. Why am I here? Why is this happening? What's the purpose? Why do, am I giving more to this person than they're giving to me? Why doesn't my job pay me enough? So let's work with that first so that we can buy back some of your own energy so that you can then focus on some different techniques. I love that. My background is from psychology and psychotherapy. And I work a lot when I start my career in psychotherapy with anxiety and depression and uh, um, we know that burnout, let me make here a differentiation, burnout is not considered a mental illness, but there are some of the dynamics that you are referring to, is, and that, that is why I want to do the parallel here. It's like uh, many of the advice is given when uh, things are normal, when let's say the law of gravity works, like the Newton yes. law of gravity, the apple will fall out the tree and fall in the floor or in your head if you are below the tree. But when we are starting in the burnout and then even more extreme in other uh, type of uh, circumstances, it's like you are in space. The laws of gravity doesn't apply. The apple will float in the air, so to speak. And we have to take that in consideration because like you were describing so well, our brain is working in a different way. And we have to take that in consideration in order to start the process to bring people to the gravity field. And then things like the gratitude journal can be a great right. thing for the future, but we have to meet them where they are. Perfectly summarized. So, and uh, I really love that and love the reminder because it's easier to forget. Uh, I My work is a lot with organizations uh, with the leaders, with HR, that is more in the burnout prevention thing. 
because yes, we have to create the conditions to prevent burnout, yeah. but it's important to create this differentiation. And that takes me to the next question, because I don't know about your opinion about this, but I think we are using at the moment the word burnout as like for everything. I'm a little stressed, burnout. So is being a catch-all kind of very popular word nowadays. So how do you see that and how do you define burnout? So I think I would say one more thing that you brought up about prevention versus recovery is that, um, like you said, prevention is culture's job, society's job, a workplace's job, but recovery is an individual's job. And those yes. are very different spaces. So that that's an important distinction that you brought up that I appreciated. So burnout, according to the World Health Organization, you have to be showing three different signs. The first one is exhaustion. Sometimes they differentiate it into physical and emotional exhaustion, but let's just call it exhaustion. The next one is cynicism. My grandmother would call this being a negative Nancy. <laughs> Sorry to any of the Nancys out there. We love you. Um, and the third is either a drop in productivity because you're physically actually unable to keep up with what you're producing before or, and or a lack of understanding the impact of your role. So it could be the impact of your role in the world, in your family, in your company, for yourself, for your community. There's lots of different ways to interpret that, but it basically means that you don't think that what you're doing is worthwhile. So though all three of those things have to be present. And currently the World Health Organization definition says that this has to be within an occupational space. This is where I, I sort of diverge yes, from yes. the traditional definition because I know plenty of caregivers and stay-at-home yeah. mothers that are working very hard, not in a occupational space. Uh, let's use uh, not a pay occupational space. Yes. Right. <laughs> exactly. Right. But they are not going into a corporate office. They yes. are, they're not in fluorescent yeah. lighting. They don't have, you know, uh, they do have other people controlling their time. You know, they only have so much autonomy. Yeah. And so there's, um, I think it's really does a disservice to burnout as a general rule to exclude things that are outside the workplace. Yes. That's, yes. that's part one. And part two is the difference between being stressed and being burnt out is that when you are stressed, you can bounce back fairly quickly. So if you have a more stressful time at work, but then you take a long weekend and you feel refreshed and recovered by Tuesday and ready to go, you were just stressed. If it's burnout, you'll take those three days off and you'll feel worse. Then you'll take three more days worse and you still won't feel better. And then you'll take a week off and you still won't feel better. Your ability to bounce back is severely diminished. It takes you much longer to recover. It takes your body a lot longer to shed the layers of stress for you to get back to some sense of normalcy. In very early stages of burnout, maybe this will take a few months. But by the time we get to the place where most people will finally admit that they're in burnout, when they're like their work is dropping, they're unable to keep up, they can't get out of bed, they can barely move. This kind of recovery, typically with help, therapy, coaching, functional medicine, your doctor, a nurse practitioner, all different kinds of help are useful with help takes about 12 to 18 months. 
So let let loads of things here to unpack. Yes. So let's. Uh, I really want to underline what you said in the beginning. Yes, the uh, the U, the World Health Organization, uh, and most of the academia and the work of Christine Maslach. Uh, she speaks about the, the three dimensions of, yes. of burnout, uh, and uh, uh, they focus on the work environment. But I agree with you. Uh, I, I will add, okay, it's the house, and I will add school. Yeah. And, uh, <laughs> yes. The school system is burning our kids in a big, big way. Yeah. Um, and it's interesting enough that speaking about Christine Maslach's work, uh, she now, one of her scales is for students. She's yeah. expanding because I think we are, it's interesting when we look to the story of burnout, it starts being studied in the 70s in the for the helpers, like the psycho psychologists and social workers, clinical social workers. And then was a lot done in the healthcare system. Yeah. And I think if we think about the COVID years, is so evident there the burnout in that three dimensions happening there because all the conditions were like what can you ask more uh, what fry pan can you ask more <laughs> for burnout that what happened with the covid for elder care so they were totally exhausted physical emotionally because they were essential workers and other essential workers to apply the same things they were there doing more hours that is humanly possible and continuously without a break. Uh, they start to, uh, they didn't have any more to give. So that cynicism, that dispersonalization, why? And all that was there, they're growing and growing and they feel numb and the disconnect from their purpose when they, they start the burnout is one of the things. And uh, they were not feeling many times, mainly in the beginning, any what they were doing uh, was how do you say the results the efficiency mm -hmm. was not how do you say so all was typical conditions that we know for the burnout and the, yeah. no wonder that so many people left the profession right because of that uh, and it's really important to see what you are saying when it arrives to that level the time that takes to recover and the, the lack of options too, because many people just, oh, I give up of being a nurse, I'm going to be something else because they don't see a path to recover and then to go back. And the same yeah. will apply with teachers. Yeah. <laughs> um, and that makes a big problem because yes, 12 months, one year and a half is a long time, but it's shorter than training somebody as a doctor or as a nurse or as a teacher. And we have to take that in perspective in terms of the society, how we see this. But th that is a big thing, this differentiation. And I totally are in the same page with you. But now going to the stress, how is different of the burnout, uh, is so important to realize because I think in the day-to-day -day language and even the articles, uh, people are using burnout just as synonymous of uh, a stress situation. And it's important to make that differentiation, like if you were uh, you were doing the differentiation between um, uh, recovery and prevention and seeing the nuance, it's important to differentiate the stress and stressful, highly stressful situations that eventually can lead to burnout from when people are on the really on the burnout. 
And also understanding, I will just add, understanding that uh, it's not like a switch. It's yeah. not like um, there is a, uh, a Rubik uh, kind of moment, uh, th th a first world that when, okay, okay, you pass to the other side and then it becomes more difficult to recover. Yes, there is some uh, area there, but it's a continuous yes. between burnout to be overextended, to be disengaged, to be in totally engaged. All of these are kind of, different places that we can be and we can be like dipping a foot on on the burnout and then until becomes death. One of the things that I love about your work is that you are aware of all these nuances and in the work you do. And I think this is especially important and I would love your take on it because in many fields, and this goes a little bit to burnout prevention, but I want to hear your thoughts about that because Okay, burnout is a big problem in the workforce, in the world out there, but overextended people are even a bigger problem in terms of numbers. And uh, I see many people that are leaders of organizations that they, they are overextending themselves because they are very connected with their purpose. But, and they think that that prevents them to be burnout. And what they don't understand is that I, I like to call them, they are like the uh, the image of the frog on the boiling pot. The temperature is rising degree by degree, and they don't notice that they are going to wake up one day, burn out. So I would like your take on that. I think the first thing that leaders need to understand is that the behavior that they're choosing is the behavior that they're modeling. And so if they are deciding to overextend themselves, what they are saying without saying is, I expect all of you to overextend yourselves as well, because I feel a sense of purpose. I also think that people do feel that passion and purpose might prevent them from burnout. But when you're getting to a place where you're constantly overextending yourself for a passion or a purpose, I don't actually believe that that's a true passion or a true purpose, because I think that when you really have a true passion and a true purpose, you do understand on a deep level that in order for you to get there, you have to be at your best. And you can't be at your best if you're working 70 and 80 hours a week. You just simply cannot. So I think that there's an understanding of people that really do live their passions and are able to find these boundaries. The, the problem comes with passion and purpose when people self-identify with those passions and purposes and don't know who they are without them. Yeah. Then they over-engage, then they do too much because if they don't do this thing, then they don't exist or they're not loved or they're not valued or it feels like they disappear. So I think this underneath that, and you can tell me from a psychologist perspective, but underneath that, there are some self-esteem issues that need to be worked on. Your, your purpose can't be more important than you. And it's the cultural, the way that yeah. you raised, and yeah. I want to go back there later, but it's absolutely what you're saying so true that, and that is if we, we help them to see that, if they learn how to being in the flow of the high performance that we know that is possible on the being fully engaged in a positive way 
respecting their limits, doing self-care, putting some boundaries, surrounding ourselves with the, the right community, they can make a bigger, much bigger impact in the world. Mm -hmm. They can have a much better life and more mm -hmm. fulfilling and joyful life. And they can make the life of the ones around them much better. So it's... Uh, Amen. We, and that, I think, is the work that we have to do. But I, but before going to that aspect of the culture, or I want to go a little bit with you there, but I just want to make sure that people realize that uh, each person has a different path to burnout. And also mm. the burnout recovery can be a little bit different. We are individuals, and like you were saying, that is the individual journey. So, and you work at, at, at so much in the burnout recover, even with that diversity, you see some kind of patterns or some elements, pillars, so I don't know how you call them, that is very important in the road to recover. Can you yeah. tell us about that? There are a few things that always show up. One of them is an underlying sense of self-neglect. So this can happen when you're too involved with your passion or your purpose. And this underlying sense of self-neglect, people try to band-aid over with sort of generic self-care that people are now getting upset about. They're like, don't tell me to take a bubble bath and don't tell me to get a manicure. And if manicures and bubble baths are really part of your true self-care, I'm here for it. But I'm not telling you to do those things. I'm telling you to really stop and back up enough and look at your life in a more simplified manner and ask yourself if you are meeting the core foundational needs of a human being, not your personal needs, not your desires, not your, but are you ensuring that at least most of the time, and by most, I mean over 50%, I'm not saying 70, I'm not saying 100 but are you most of the time sleeping enough to recover and for your body to rejuvenate? Are you moving your body on a regular basis? Are you eating decent enough food? I'm not telling you to be a perfectionist. I don't need any orthorexia around here, but are you doing the basics to keep yourself healthy? Are you responding to your body when it tells you it's time to go to the bathroom or are you writing three more emails? Are you responding to your body when it says that it's time for some water because you're thirsty? Are you responding when it's time to eat, when it's time to rest, when it's time to laugh, when it's time to connect? Are you responding to the base, primal, foundational human needs of your body? Yep. I, I absolutely, I like even to bring there the Maslow hierarchy of needs yeah. because the in terms of the self-care, because incredible enough, they are, like you were describing, they are not taking care of the more basic needs that are the physiological needs. They are not drinking enough water. They are not e eating well. Or sleeping is cut. And even going to the bathroom <laughs> is delayed until the last moment. So it doesn't make sense. And I, I often kid that um, even sometimes when we ask them to do like a 30-second breathing exercise, they say, I don't have time and you don't have time to breathe. You see the contradiction there that you are telling me that you don't have time to breathe. There is something wrong there. We need yeah. oxygen. Yes. So I think we, a lot of times we want, 
really complicated solutions because burnout is a complicated thing, but the simplest solutions are the most impactful. If you can get into a habit of meeting your own needs, everything else becomes much easier. So I think that's pillar number one is what we call in my business, foundational self-care. Love it. The next pillar is boundaries. And when I say boundaries, I don't mean saying no to everything and keeping everything out. In the research literature on boundaries, what they talk about is a continuum. Again, we're on this continuum idea between integration and segmentation. Integration means you blend into your world completely and you stop existing. And segmentation means you separate from your world completely and you have no resources. So both of them in the extremes are not great. But we have to be able to be a little bit flexible within those two extremes. Boundaries are as much about keeping people out as they are about letting people in about making sure that we are asking for help when we need it, that we're opening our gate because we have a moment that we would need to connect with someone. So it's about as much in as it is out. And I think people are missing that. So boundaries are a huge part, but really hard to get boundaries right if you're not doing foundational self-care. And a lot of people are teaching boundaries and saying, it's time to say no and say no to everything and don't feel guilty, but you're not even peeing when you need to pee. So let's let's do that first so that there's enough integrity within yourself that when you do start to shift your boundaries, they feel more realistic to you, right? There's a missing step here that a lot of people are, are not taking. So pillar number one is foundational self-care. Pillar number two is boundaries. And the third pillar, I think is surprising to people often because it's community. We need other people. Every single study that focuses on happiness tells us yes. that- <laughs> that the happiest ones amongst us have solid human relationships, which mean, which means we need to work on those boundaries properly and let people in, not just keep people out because we need to have people that we trust, that we can be vulnerable with, that we can show up fully as our full selves with in order to be healthy. So finding and shifting your community, this is one of the reasons that burnout recovery takes so long because shifting the people in your community can be really difficult, brings up a lot of grief. There's sometimes you have to meet new people, which requires energy and going places and meeting people and deciding who they might be and trying some people out and seeing how it goes yeah. and sort of doing that like new friendship dance with people. But creating a community of people that you honestly feel supported within is a massive burnout protection factor for your entire life for your entire future. So having that in place is really critical. So we have foundational self-care, boundaries and community. Those three are really critical. And this gives a beautiful segue because yes, this is a work that the individual has to do to recover from burnout because it's the individual that is burned out. But there are, um, and I like the image of the um, I always um, not, do not pronounce correctly. So I will ask your help to correct me if I don't pronounce it correctly. It's like the canary in the coal yeah. mine. Yeah. The little yellow bird. That you said it old, properly. Yes, thank you. In the old times, they used to take really in a little cage down in the coal mine because when the canary starts to 
not behave, how do you say, feel dizzy and uh, almost dying. They woke, knowing that there was enough gases around that were also dangerous for people, and they will evacuate the the mine and try to uh, um, um, restore a better work environment uh, if possible. And I think it's a great metaphor for the burnout because the individual is the canary. And yes, we have to help the canary to recover, but it's not to put it back to the coal mine with all the fumes. Even them back there understood that they had to improve the conditions. And I think part of this work on the community is changing the environment because otherwise we are just putting them back there and it's just a question of time. Okay, they can be a little bit more resilient. They can uh, last a little bit longer, but eventually they go back there. Exactly. So just, I, I know that we don't have a lot of time more here in this space of, of this episode. And I will make sure, usually in the show notes, I always put related episodes of my own podcast. But I think in this case, I'm going to put some of your podcasts as a way for people to explore what we are speaking here more and know more about your work. But uh, what, uh, how can we change the burnout culture? So uh, what are you, I know that, uh, just give us a little bit of your thought process on that, because I think that is really important to change. The fastest way we end burnout culture is by individually choosing that we will no longer participate in it. Mm -hmm. I like that. I like that. Uh, sweet. And uh, doing the work, we have to do the work and, um, uh, and changing some cultural norms and some cultural things, but doesn't have to be this way. Uh, we, uh, and is the, the work culture, mainly in the United States, of uh, it's a workaholism of people, it's a, a batch of owners saying, oh, I work 80 hours this week. That, okay, okay, that is not healthy. Or the Asian um, culture and countries also, they go to the extreme on this. Uh, to the point, is fascinating, to the point that they have words to describe death by burnout people that die from working doesn't make any sense we can achieve more make a bigger impact out there and take care of ourselves and i think that has to be the way and that has to be the work so how can people learn more about you about your work so tell us a little bit about of course following your podcast fried and where more they can go to learn about you. I always love to send people only to one place so that it's really easy. So I think sending people to Fried the Burnout podcast, if something in this episode sparked you, there is a lot of information there that you can dig into. And each one of those episodes gives you multiple ways to find me, contact me. I'm available. I'm all over the internet. Um, so I always like to give people just one simple place to go. Walking your talk, keep things simple. And if they are listening this in any podcast platform will be the easiest way. Just do a search Fried the Burnout podcast and in the show notes, I will put the link too. So thank you so much for your time today. Thank you for having me. Expanding possibilities.
Thank you for listening and remember to follow this podcast. And if you're listening in Apple Podcasts, please leave us a review. That really helps us spread the word about the Mindset Zone. Also visit Mindset.Zone. Yes, instead of dot .com, is dot .zone. There you can find amazing resources and more information about my speaking and how I support purpose-driven individuals and organizations increase their impact while preventing burnout. As always, I'm so grateful you are here. Expand what's possible for you, for the ones around you, for the world.